My name is Rahul Soames and I'm the host of the On Meaningful Work podcast and the founder of the Disruptive Business Network. The On Meaningful Work podcast is really about people who have uh, fought to find meaning and purpose in the work that they do. And this pod- podcast is really to trace their journeys. This week we have a really special guest in Luke Mitchell. Luke is the co-founder of Yuki Threads, a premium snowboarding apparel brand. We talk about Luke's upbringing in Melbourne, his first job as a mechanic, and how his passion for snowboarding and skiing really led to his growth. We talk about how he found his tribe among his fellow snowboarders. We also talk about the founding of Yuki Threads and how as the business progressed, uh, the focus really became to the why rather than the what. We talk about how uh, sustainability, fair trade, and the business being fueled by an ethical supply chain really came to the fore. Uh, Luke has an incredible story to share and we really hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Luke Mitchell, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thank, yeah, thanks for being here, mate. Um, yeah, it's we, we got introduced to each other through a mutual friend, uh, M from Serotonin. And yeah, I think reading about you, man, I, I find your journey really fascinating because I, I think what you're doing is really, I suppose, in tune with uh, where my thinking has been for a while, you know, just in terms of starting a business that you're passionate about, but also does does good for the world. Um, but before, before we get into that, um, maybe let's start with you. Like, what's your... Genesis story. Like, what's your origin story? Where were you? Where were you born? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, <laughs> so I was born in, well, not Melbourne, in like South Dandenong when it was still paddocks and whatnot. I think it's all filled <laughs> with houses and all of this kind of thing there now. But uh, when I was yeah. when I was a kid, I uh, <clears throat> moved up to uh, a place called Mansfield in northeast Victoria. Um, and that's when actually later on in life, M, um, who introduced us, our paths crossed a lot later on, but um, moved up there and was kind of a, uh, a country kid and, and um, did all that kind of thing, went to school and, and all, all of that up there and lived a pretty standard country life, you would probably say, playing football yeah. and cricket and doing all the things that, you know, young, young boys do up there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, went to school and then ended up finishing up school in, in Albury, where uh, my family moved since so year 10 to 12, was finished up there and then started mm. a trade as a mechanic, a uh, like a small vehicle, like car mechanic, of all things, nice. which people are pretty surprised about now. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, did a couple, uh, sorry. No, I was just going to ask, why, why are they surprised by that? Oh, well, just, you know, um, well, I kind of like, I guess I am in fashion, but people are like, oh, you're in fashion, but you're like, <laughs> a mechanic. I'm like, well, I guess you could say I am, but for me, it's just like, I'm not, it's kind of a bit weird for me to think of mm. what I do like that. But I guess that's like, if you were to say like what I do, that's what it is. And because I've got like a, I guess a weird entry point into the industry. I still like 
it kind of just pricks my ears. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that is weird. But you know, yeah. your story is your story, so you don't kind of think it's weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, so then yeah, started trading and moved over to Perth and finished that trade and uh, worked as a mechanic for a bit. And um, but growing up at the bottom of Buller, I was always into snow. Mm-hmm. So um, after a few years of doing that trade, then I went and did my first snow season um, in Canada, and that kind of led me down the path to getting into what I do to what I do now. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I guess that's a little bit of a snapshot of the backstory. Yeah. And um, wh- what were you like at school? Were you? <laughs> um, uh, I guess like I kind of went between the jocks, you'd say, like, cause I, play, I, I played football and cricket. Um, mm-hmm. and was p- pretty handy um, and, and, and into those sports but I wasn't like the cliche sports guy like I guess I I also played music so I hung around mm-hmm. with like the alternative people as well and um, you know got up to my fair share of mischief um, <laughs> that I guess the sports people wouldn't kind of get up so I guess like I kind of bridged the gap between there, but like I wasn't a bad kid and I was like good at school yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. But I wasn't, I guess I was kind of just floated between all the, all the areas groups and was not overly high achiever at school, but definitely yeah. wasn't the bottom of the run. I think mm. uh, the, the kind of words on the report card of were like, if he applied himself, he probably should be good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. that 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 was kind of like I guess the overall trend of what I was like at school. What 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 music did you play? What did you play an instrument or were you Yeah, so I started off playing guitar. I was like a little Metallica kid and you know, mm-hmm. thought I was gonna be Kirk Hammett and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> thought I was gonna play in a rock band and all of this kind of thing. Actually in school, like I never had much foresight further than, you know, battle of the bands because I thought we were going to win that and then, you know, I'd be some kind of legend. But (laughs) that didn't happen. So, um, so yeah, play guitar and then mess around playing some other instruments and stuff. But I guess it was just that uh, classic teenage kid rock band kind of thing. Yeah. And and also, you mentioned mischief. Like, that's, like, what's the sort of mischief you got up to that jocks can get up to? (laughs) Oh, Oh, you know, just like the, uh, well, I also skated too. So it was just like underage drinking and mm. smoking and like all of that kind of stuff, parties and nothing too bad, but, you know, probably broke a few rules here and there. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess it wasn't, wasn't a super clean cut, but, yep. you know, didn't end up in jail. So I guess it was mm. all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so after, after school, uh, how did uh, like what shape you're thinking around getting a trade versus you know other other parts, other parts? I think or... it was like, yeah, like I don't know. You grow up in the country, and I guess you're a product of your environment, right? Like mm. you grow up, say, in Mansfield in the country, and the world is well for me. It, it was, I guess, small. So it was like, oh, I guess you could be a farmer or a trader. I didn't really think too much about work, actually. Then, And then from going to there to another country town of, like, Albury, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the world's still, you only see what you see, right? So you don't, I don't only seen like this much. I'm just like, oh, the options are, I guess, just this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family is like a working class family. So I was just like, oh yeah, I guess you go out and get a job and mm-hmm. I guess you'd get a trade or whatever. And I was kind of like into cars or, to be, back, to be honest, looking back on it, I guess my, my brother was more into cars than what I was. But mm-hmm. so it's kind of, I guess he probably sported the idea and I'm like, oh, I guess this is not a bad idea. I'll do that. Like mm-hmm. I'm interested in cars and like, I like how cars work for sure. Like, you know, the mechanics behind it and the mm-hmm. problem solving. And, and I guess they're like those things that are, you know, an entrepreneur, I wouldn't say I'm an entrepreneur, but you know, mm-hmm. like that's, you know, small business and all of that, it's all problem solving, right? So I guess mm. the things that I liked in that was similar. Um, but I guess like for me, like getting into that was just like, it was it was kind of just there and what you did and I was kind of interested in it. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just do this kind mm. of thing. There was no like uh, big thought process behind it. It was, a, mm. yeah. Looking back now, I'm just like, oh, that was whack. A little bit, but I guess it made sense. It just made sense at the time, you know. At the time, not yeah. Stupid, yeah. Um, yeah. And were your parents uh, were they farmers or were they also in the trade or were they? Yeah, well, we also come from like a super horsey family. So whilst I was playing football okay. and cricket, like before that, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, <clears throat> I think I could ride a horse before I could ride a bike. Like we're at shows, competing every weekend, like at a high level. Um, so it was very, um, well, my whole, yeah, I retired at 12, but like my, <laughs> I'm the youngest of all the kids, but it was yeah. just like everything up to there was just like all horses. So the jobs that like my parents work were, were her, her, in the, in the horse realm, I mm-hmm. guess. Well, well, mum was like just a, a cleaner, um, mm-hmm. for a time. And then her partner was a farrier. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, put shoes on horses. And all mm. of this kind of stuff. And they worked jobs like around that. And then mum ended up being a, um, a gardener. And then her partner had had a history in truck driving. So there was interstate truck driving and all of that kind of thing. So mm. those, you know, it was just, just kind of jobs, you know, um, yeah. jobs to get by. Awesome. And when were you first um, introduced to snow? When's the first time you saw snow? Well... When I was four, we moved from Melbourne or suburb surrounding area kind of thing to Mansfield. We didn't actually live in Mansfield. We lived in a place called Tolmy, which in those days was, there was nothing there. It was like literally in the middle of the bush, but it was on a hill. So mm-hmm. um, we would get snow in the backyard, like, you know, as kids, like when wow. there's like a real big dump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. when there's like a real big dump, we'd get like five or 10 centimetres or stick around for like 24 hours or something like that. So we were introduced like pretty, pretty young um, to it in that sense. Um, so we'd go make snowmans and snowmen and all of that kind of stuff and, and do that. And then when we were, I guess, a little bit older, like we didn't have enough money to go like proper downhill skiing um, mm. by lift passes and all of that kind of stuff. So like, maybe once or twice a year we would go cross country skiing at Mount Sterling. So like Nordic skiing, pretty much the, the ones where you walk, there's no mm. lift or anything. And I guess so that, that was like the, the first kind of entry to like snow sports, I guess. Mm. But, but introduction to snow was like, yeah, like literally 
Cowan or back doorstep, um, which was really cool and super exciting when you're a kid. Because it only snowed like a couple of times a year. It was like when it snowed, like everyone just lost it. So it was like, wow, we're together. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, awesome. And so, so around this time, around your adolescence, you were working as a car mechanic in, in uh, Melbourne? Yeah. yeah. No, so, um, so when I was like uh, in year 10, we moved to Albury. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, even though like even at the end of year 10, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do my trade. But then I stayed at school just because it was fun. And I was just like, well, I don't need to start it now. I was hanging mm-hmm. out with my mates. And I actually like school. Like I like learning. I'm not an yeah. overachiever, but I, I love it, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, when I, when I finished, um, what is it, HSC up there, like I finished year 12 and then, um, yeah, then started my trade up there. Um, yeah, so I guess like I was 18 by the time I started that. Mm-hmm. And, and then did you, after your trade, did you get a job as a mechanic? Yeah, yeah. So I did two years. Like I did half of my apprenticeship there and then moved to Perth mm. with a couple of friends and finished off my apprenticeship over there. Um, and then I worked for a couple of years as a tradesman, like, you know, just as a, as a mechanic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was always like, a, I, I, I always like loved snow. So when I was a teenager, I actually got into snowboarding, started snowboarding and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, it was awesome. Um, I don't think too many teenage kids would not think it's cool, but um, <laughs> I always liked it. But then mm. I got drawn over to Perth and then still, whilst I was over there, there was always this thing of like, I want to go, you know, to Canada or to Whistler to do a season like every mm. other Aussie. So <clears throat> yeah, I worked as a tradesman, um, but then, you know, had that drive to, to go and uh, do a season, but only planned on doing one and going back to Perth actually at that mm. stage. But um so yeah, finished trade and yeah, worked a couple of years in that. Um, but mm. it was pretty, like, like I said before, like I, I can't like I, I like how cars work and I like the problem solving, but the industry and the people and that kind of thing, it was just like it's not real. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't mm. my space that I wanted to be in. Yeah, yeah. And so, so around this time, did did you have? feelings of okay this is not where I want to be as a mechanic yeah totally um and the workplace that I worked in like it wasn't like people were hyped on being mechanics and they wanted to do it it was more about to be honest about getting this done and drinking beers after work and all of this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff or like people I guess like people were more stoked to work on their cars after work and drink beers than being at work you know yes. what I mean so mm. it was kind of like and maybe that you know because it's you know for the people that are into cars it's more passion about mm. their cars maybe I don't know but yeah that was kind of where I was at um and yeah I was like this is definitely not what I want to do and I was mm. kind of looking at <clears throat> other options of you know sales or something maybe in the industry but mm. definitely moving away from being a mechanic for sure yeah so you you didn't have a a car that you would work on after work yeah well that's i I was into four-wheel drives like from so when i started when i said like i was probably my brother was more into um cars like 
he was into cars, he was into four-wheel drives, and I was into four-wheel drives, and it kind of links back to, you know, being a country kid. So I always had these big, you know, crazy four-wheel drives and, and all of this kind of thing. So I was definitely that person of what, as well that, you know, it was a bit more about working on your own car after work and, and this kind mm. of thing. Um, and, you know, and the whole, like, beer drinking, working on cars, like, that was, like, that was the whole kind of culture that I was in. And I'm not saying all mechanics are like that at all, mm. but that was, mm. that was what it was for me. And I was yeah. definitely um, part of that. Like, I'm not saying I was in it and I wasn't, you know, just doing that on the weekend. I think we all mm. kind of were. Like, yeah. and so... I guess the passion was more out of work than in work um, mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Um, and again, not talking for everyone, like we, we work in a workshop of 20 people, like not everyone was the same. And I'm sure some people were super hyped on what they were doing, but that was just my experience. Sure. And then, what did you talk a little bit about, say this is when snow started to become a big part of your life. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, it was always there, but it wasn't until I left um, and did that season um, mm. in Whistler. And then <clears throat> I guess it was kind of like a reconnection with that. Um, mm. And then it was just like, basically the way I kind of explained it is I went and did a season and I never came back. Like <laughs> I came back to Australia, but I never, I never came back to the real world. No, I, was, I didn't come back to being a mechanic. I didn't like, mm. that was me. I was gone and it's been snow ever since, like. It was yeah. just, I guess it was like chapter closed, catch up, you know, like mm. kind of thing. So, yeah. so and what, I think that sometimes happens to a lot of people when they, people like, yeah, it's a pretty interesting thing and doing your seasons. A lot of people have exponential growth as a person, ideas mm. change. Like when you go to a season, it's like a melting pot of like everyone from different countries, different ideas, skiers, snowboarders. You get crammed into these tiny little staffer comms that you probably not even legal for you to be sleeping in, but you do because you're in some <laughs> country and you're just yep. there to ski or snowboard or do whatever to mm. do what you got to do. But that environment, whilst it might be pretty stanky sometimes, it's really mm. amazing for growth. You know, you get put in positions yeah. that you wouldn't normally be put in. You talk to people that you wouldn't normally talk to, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So there's just exponential growth for people. Um, so it's not an uncommon story for people to go to a season and never go back to like whatever it is that they did before kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So h- how old were you when you went uh, at your first season? I was very old. Um, <laughs> very old in terms mm. of like most people do this out of school, but I went and did all this other stuff. So I was a bit of a late starter. I think I was like 26, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 26, I think. Yeah. Okay. Most people have probably done like five or six seasons by then, but yeah, yeah. So I was kind of a late comer. Oh, amazing. But, but thinking about that, that first experience, like you mentioned it was a melting pot and, you know, uh, like a lot of people experience that growth in themselves. Um, mm. what, what was that for you? Like, what, what did you experience? For me, in that first season or two, um, I guess like growth as a person then, I guess was slow for the first two seasons. Hmm. I guess like I was country 
to be honest, like I was so much different to what I am now, Pro mm. you know, probably sexist, racist, a loud, drunk jerk, like mm. just, you know, I look back on the person I was then, I was just like, whoa, um, mm. how did you have any friends? <laughs> but just like, you know, I guess it was just like that classic dickhead Aussie. I was mm. that guy for sure, right? Um, and, it, you know, and I was probably that guy for the first couple of seasons because along with all of like this great melting pot of like these experiences comes you know alcohol drugs party all of that kind of stuff and you know mm -hmm. for the first couple of seasons I was definitely caught up in that so you know I'm not gonna sit here and say I had some big awakening in the first mm. you know <laughs> couple of years yeah. but I guess even in that of you know there's still a lot of I guess more understanding I guess like the starting of like understanding different people and that different people come from different backgrounds and you need to take that into perspective, you know, and you need to start to think that, oh shit, people think differently to me or like I'm from here and there from there. Like, I guess that was started, that starts to come in there. And I guess like having a little bit more understanding because you're kind of like, well, not everyone's from the same background. And, you know, mm -hmm. you start, I guess you'd probably have a couple of arguments with people and you just like, you would never have before, probably over stupid things. And I would mm -hmm. say arguments for me, not conversations, because they probably were back in those days, because I probably didn't have the understanding to sit down and kind of look at the other perspective. I was just like, well, this mm -hmm. is my perspective and rah, rah, rah. And I've probably had 10 beers and, you know, that yes. whole kind of thing. <laughs> but I guess that yeah. kind of started, but... You know, there was, I wouldn't have said back then that there was some great exponential growth of my person back then. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely the ball, you know, had started rolling. Yeah. Being in that environment. You know, taken out of that small town country environment to over there, and that's what travel's all about, right? Then the yeah. world got bigger because we're in mm -hmm. different countries and we were hearing different stories. And then it was just like, oh, you do what? Oh, you don't just, you're not a trade. You've been to uni and you've, oh, you've mm -hmm. done this. You know, like the world just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, starting from like a small country town. Yeah. Because you're just learning that, oh, you can do that. Oh, I guess I could have gone to uni. I never really thought about it. You know, yeah, just amazing. even small things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just again, thinking back on that, was there something that you recall, something significant that you changed your mind about? Either about yourself um, or about the world or, you know? Yeah, so I think like the biggest catalyst for the change, my personal growth and change, and that changed the trajectory of my company <clears throat> was when I broke up with my ex who I started the company with. So that was about mm -hmm. four or five years in. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that was obviously huge um, for me and, like, you know, I would imagine for her, like we'd been together and done a lot together and all of this kind of thing. Um, and I think those moments are a real point for taking stock of like, what am I doing? Um, <clears throat> what do I want to do? Who am I? Who do I want to be? This is who I have been, but who do I want to be? All of this kind of stuff. What are we doing with the company? Does it need to exist? What are we, you know, we're making these things. Does anyone actually need it? Like, like all of that, just like rabbit hole of like, mm -hmm. what the fuck is anything? And what is anything happening for? And why do I, you know, that whole thing, right? Like 
that was a catalyst for that. And then leading up to that, there was like, I guess the foundations that were snippets from here or conversations with these people or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you might've heard of yoga or meditation or something and you're not yeah. ready for it yet. You're just like, Oh mm-hmm. yeah, well, whatever, man. Like kind of thing. <laughs> I guess like, you know, like at that, mm-hmm. cause I'd come from so far this way. It was like a, it was a long journey to like mm-hmm. those kind of things, which is so intrinsic in, me these days but then it wasn't so like so um i guess that was just a just a real big change i guess like another chapter kind of close of like leaving going to the snow i guess this one was like as a person was just like okay cool next chapter of just like what is anything i like to yeah you know i guess it was that question who am i but it was like it was just huge and like I was aware of it at the time. So it wasn't like a rush thing. And it was like, cause I'd already kind of started practicing yoga. So having that mm. perspective of myself and all of that. So going through that breakup was kind of really nice to go through something that big, but also be able to have the perspective of being in that moment, going through that, taking stock of my feelings, thoughts, and all of these kind of things in the mm. moment where if it was a year or two before, I probably just would have blown up and been like, fuck this, fuck everything, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, because I wasn't be able to, like, get that perspective and be like, oh, no, but see it from her side or see it from this side. And, you know, no one's out to do anything bad for you. They're probably just mm-hmm. trying to look after themselves, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what your question was, but <laughs> that's when things started to happen. <laughs> no, no. Hi, no. man, this question. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's, I suppose, uh, yeah, the question was like what uh, just being in this melting pot of, you know, the, of, uh, you know, the, the snow lifestyle, if you will, just what changed for you? Like, what was there something significant? And I think like you answered that just in terms of, uh, do, do you remember who introduced you to yoga or how did that come into your life? Ooh, so I remember my first, like, yoga class yeah it was a friend's um girlfriend at the time who's now still a very dear friend of mine that um mm-hmm. you could probably get to have on this podcast she's um, she's got a great business started a business yeah, and this kind that'd, be, of that'd be awesome um yeah it was um it was actually uh mm-hmm. after um the actual breakup um mm-hmm. but this breakup went on for probably a year or so um it was just we had a lot of things to work out so it was kind of like mm-hmm. a lot to work through um but yeah so that was in Jindabyne. um probably we broke up in i think like the february and this class was probably like in the may or mm-hmm. june um that i actually started to to go i think i think mm-hmm. no i tell a lie I tell a lie. That was the first time I actually went to a yoga class. I'd been practicing before at home with Matt. Mm. And then, yeah. I suppose, how did that gel with this, I suppose, this identity of you being, you know, a country bloke that loves beer and, you know, dirty jokes and stuff. And, and yeah. now you had a, a yoga class. Was <laughs> that a big leap? <laughs> um. <clears throat> I don't think I don't think so because I don't think it goes from like um, drinking a slab of beer 
telling, you know, um, inappropriate jokes to being in a yoga class and then um, being a totally different person. It's definitely like, you know, <clears throat> it changes along the way. And I guess like, you know, those years before um, I started practicing yoga or anything like that, there was, um, I guess, a softening to the idea and then an opening to the idea of, could this be interesting to me? Could I be into this? Am I going to go try this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was, it was like this, this one time and, and that the next, I guess. Mm -hmm. you, you slowly kind of work into it. But I guess once you kind of um, start talking to people about it, mm -hmm. um, and not that it's like a really big deal, I guess like, and with most things, like the other person probably doesn't give a fuck, but you're like self-conscious mm. about, oh, we just went to a yoga class and that's cool. <laughs> like, you know, if you're talking to some guy that you think is like, or maybe yeah. still like drinking heaps of beers, telling dirty jokes and it comes up then, you're just like, oh, mm. yeah, I, yeah, I guess I did that kind of thing. <laughs> but I don't know. It was kind of yep. like, and the, the company that I kept kind of changed and evolved mm -hmm. with me anyway. So I don't think it was too sure. much of a thing, but maybe there was a conversation here and there that it was weird, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I'd love to get into a bit more of this, of, of what you call, you know, this lifestyle that you experienced in this film, because, you know, so I suppose, you know, coming from Mumbai in India, that's, that's so, you know, foreign to me. Different. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, but how would you, how would you describe that, that lifestyle? Like what is, what is the snow lifestyle? Well, it's transient for one. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you're traveling the world, you're meeting new people, or you're traveling it with people. You're living like a carefree lifestyle that revolves around your passion, which is skiing or snowboarding. Or some people just go there to meet people and drink and party and don't really ski or snowboard that much. But I guess it's kind of like a gap year that can go on for as long as you want. You know, it's mm -hmm. just you're in a carefree zone and everyone's just like there to have fun. And, you know, it's just like a traveling circus kind of thing. You know, yeah. if you keep doing, because we do back-to-back -back seasons, right? So you go to Whistler, then you come back to Bula, then you go yep. to Japan, then you go to Jindy, then you might go to Japan, Jindy, whatever. Like, that's kind of what I did. So it's yeah. kind of just this, like, traveling circus of fun, like, revolving around your passion of snowboarding, you yeah. know? So it's just like this really super um, exciting place. And it's just like, where are you going next season? Like, at the end of the season, you go, oh, you know, and you plan that. Mm. And then you work this work the season and then you've got mm. two months off in between then a lot of people either go and work so they don't have to work next season or some people save money over the season so then mm. they go to somewhere cheap like bali or thailand for two months so it's just like you have a working holiday in the snow then you go mm. on holiday then you have another holiday like <laughs> if you work it right like mm. it's it can be a really good lifestyle but also you know all things like that are a double-edged sword too it can be mm. really toxic toxic if you just party all the time as well you know sure so but it's definitely like it's definitely it's what you make it but it yeah but i guess like the whole lifestyle is just built around like you know carefree um mm. travel good vibes and and snowboarding or skiing or whatever your thing is mm. and, and um 
do you meet the same people wherever you go, whether it's Japan or Canada well, or Finland? Or, yeah. 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 Yeah, it depends. Yeah. Like, that's how I mm. kind of went. Like, it is a bit of a traveling circus. If you're, like, doing the mm. same thing, or, like, you might meet someone in Whistler, here, mm. there, then meet them in, or even at a resort in mm. Finland. You just brush past them. Like, the snow industry, or, like, this whole world, once you start doing a few seasons, get a bit, get not small, but it's kind of like you feel the community because it's, you might even say, hey, I'm going to St. Moritz in France. And you might just mm. be like, hey, does anyone have homies over there? And you're like, oh, yeah, like here's Sarah's email or, you know, mm. well, these days, like, you know, Instagram or whatever. You just hit up, you know, Jerry or whatever. Like, so it's real. Mm. It's pretty cool like that. Like once you're kind of in the community, it's a pretty global community and you can get hookups mm. or meet people or do stuff. Um Anyway, it's just pretty yeah. nice. Um, wow. And then, so how did um, the idea for Yuki Threads come up? Like, what, what was the, the seed for that? <clears throat> so, I had come back from Whistler, I'd done a season. Uh, it, was, it was a couple of seasons later. One of the friends that I'd met on my first season, he'd met a Canadian um, girl over there so he'd stayed on and it was um, at this time he was he was coming back to, to do a season in Australia so he'd worked he was coming back but there was that gap in between the season that I mentioned just before where some people go and holiday and all of this kind of stuff but he was like oh, I got nothing to do I'm going to mm. sit at home I can probably pick up some work or something and then um, at the time there was this emerging trend of um, taller hoodies um, for skiing mm -hmm. and snowboarding, like a functional thing of being a little bit longer so it covers your butt, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if you fall over and, you know, you wear them on, the, I guess, like the nicer days in the park, like, uh, and this kind of thing. So, and the season before, there was a dude making them at Buller and I tried to buy one off him, but I didn't manage to um, get it because they were all made to order. And he, mm. he was like, oh, I'm thinking about making one of these hoodies. And I'm like, dude, like, go ham. Like, I tried to get one. I couldn't get mm. one. Like, definitely do it. And um, he's like, yeah, righto. He's like, oh, why don't you come around and um, we'll, um, we can make some. So I'm like, sweet. So mm. we went down to uh, Spotlight, bought some patterns and some fabric. And his mum had a sewing machine. I drank a lot of beers that night. <laughs> like, they were literally just like, you know, like catching up, mm. drinking some beers and being like, cool, mm. so here's the pattern. And I guess if we want to make it longer, we just like extend it from here or whatever. Mm. I mean, maybe hoodies. There's a photo on the internet that circles around whenever that memory comes up every year of like mm. the hoodie that I made um, that day. So he made a hoodie and I made a hoodie and it was, oof, it was very loud. Um, <laughs> and then so, so that went on and, and, uh, Lani, my partner at the time, mm. was there. And then, yeah, so those guys, the season coming, um, Dozzy, my mate, and his partner, uh, mm -hmm. they started making these handmade hoodies to order um, for crew, and they were killing it. And then Lani, um, at the time, um, started doing the same for friends and, and this kind of thing. So they were both making um went on to make more handmade hoodies like to actually mm -hmm. make them and sell them i did and i just kind of made that one and one um one there and then like i got Lana to make me a couple more um mm -hmm. through that time 
Um, but then, so that was kind of where that sparked. And then at the end of that season, like Lani had a heap of orders left over that, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't make because she's obviously working up there again. The other guys killed it. Um, mm. They made heaps. Like their room was like a little sweatshop kind of thing. Um, wow. And then at the end of that season, we, we went back to um, Japan. No, yeah, we went back to Japan. And then I was kind of like sitting here going, well, there's obviously like a market for it. Um, mm. I know nothing, nothing about anything in this space. But there's a market <laughs> there. And I had like, a mate who had like a t-shirt company so i kind of spoke to him and mm. then the ball started rolling on the thought process it's like oh maybe we can you know do something here and then that's kind mm. of where i got involved with like i see an opportunity here um mm. and then that kind of kicked off where yuki really came from mm. yeah. wow how, how did you get the name yuki like where did that come from so that means snow or like snowing in Japanese. It's also like okay. a Japanese, pers- like a person's name, guy or girl. Um, yep. So yeah, that's that's where that um, comes from. Yeah. And then um, I suppose, how did then that evolve into like a legit business? What were the steps that you took? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. from there, like, like I said, like I went back to well, Lani and I um, went back mm. to Japan. I spoke to my mate about it. And then, you know, Lani and I sat down and I was like, hey, you know, the opportunity's there for it. Mm. Like, do you want to do this? Um, <clears throat> and long and short of it, we both were like, yep, sweet. So then I did some numbers and like very, very rough numbers. I'm like, we've got to sell this many to, you know, mm-hmm. to do it. Like, I reckon it's probably achievable because obviously we had like a heap of friends and we knew like a heap of mates would buy mm-hmm. them and all of this kind of stuff. I'm like, pretty mm-hmm. much, can we talk our mates into buying this many hoodies? So like, yeah. if someone else buys them, it's sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. but then, um, then it was like, well, who's going to make them? So then we kind of looked at a couple of options, but you know, I jumped online. My buddy who had a company already was like, you know, you're never going to be able to do them in China. Like the minimums mm-hmm. are too high, all of this kind of stuff. I jumped online and, you know, it was most likely luck. A lot of things in the beginning are luck, but mm-hmm. at that time, like I, within like five hours, I was talking to one of the manufacturers that we still use today. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, started talking to them and had no idea what the hell I was talking about. They mm-hmm. were like, I'm like, oh, I want to make a hoodie. They're like, cool. They're like, what GSM fleece do you want to use? And I'm just like, what? I'm just like Google GSM. Like, oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> That's the weight of the fleece. And they're like, what type okay. of fleece? I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, what, what do you mean? So I like, literally like absolutely zero idea about anything. And um, where were these manufacturers? In China. In China, in China. Yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah, you know, we got some samples. We, we made some hoodies. We got some designs together. Mate, a friend of a friend was working for Volcom, I think, at the time. So he kind of did mm. a tech bag. I can't believe that these days but i copied his tech packs not in illustrator not in anything else in paint pixel mm-hmm. by pixel so it was mental um <laughs> so then we got these these things done mm. we made our first run and then by the next winter we like delivered them late but got them up to Bula. and mm. i was working at the pub at the time so uh nicole absolute legend was the mm. um 
manager of the pub, I was like, hey man, do you mind if we have this night here? And like I sell these hoodies out of the box <laughs> and we would like post this up around town. And then she's like, yeah. So then, you know, we got these beanies that just had the bird on it before. So they mm. came earlier, which is a great marketing idea now looking back on it. But yeah. they came before all the hoodies. So people were wearing these things around going, what's that yellow bird? So it worked for a bit of hype. And then, you know, we ended up making our money back on that first night. Like we got there yeah. and I'm like, well, there's a lot of people in the pub for 4 p.m. in the afternoon and they were all there for this. And I was like, holy shit. Wow. Like, people are just yeah. buying things out of boxes and this and that. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, we put five grand in. I think, you know, we, we, we made that back in that first night and we're like, oh, okay, cool. So people want this stuff. And yeah. then from there, it was a hustle to get. So then I'm like, well, if we're going to do it, we've got to do it. The snow industry has got a trade show. It's called um, Snow Industry of Australia, SIA Trade Show. That's mm -hmm. in October each year. So I was like, well, if we're going to do it and we want to be legit and we want to get in stores, we have to go be legit kind of mm -hmm. thing. So then we made some samples, went to that trade show, and then that kind of kicked off. We got like one account from mm -hmm. that trade show. But then by the next winter, I think we had a, a couple more. But mm -hmm. then, you know, then that was, I guess, the start of like it being a thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that first year was just an absolute hustle of like, what is going on? Like, is this going to work? <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Literally, and like selling hoodies out of our Starfacom. Like, I think yeah. we had a, did we have an, in we didn't have an Instagram. We had a, oh, we had a Facebook page mm -hmm. and it was maybe like a DM and buy one. So then they'd be like, hey, I want this. And like, cool, come up. And we'd like, literally selling them out of our house it was in our cupboard that's and great like, all so, of, yeah all of this stuff but it was like it's a bit so like before, a stick like even thinking about back on it now i'm just like yeah that was cool i was like i hadn't thought yeah. about it for a long time. but i mean that that really sounds i mean it's, it's really like the the romantic notion of of a startup you know really you know working at the garage and then selling stuff out of your garage um and, yeah, and totally. so before the trade show we so y'all didn't even have a website or were you just selling? No, so we, we had a, we had a website as well. So when mm. we first launched, I think so. It was around that time. Mm. We definitely had a website at the start and started selling online. Selling online has been something that we've done and has mm. been um, a lot stronger for us um, than other kind of um, people I know in the space. Like we, we started online. I had a very, Still a very good friend um, now who guided me um, mm -hmm. and still does today. Um, he, um, my buddy Nick, um, he was um, he was like the the um, city boy. I met him my first season in Japan. I was like the snow bum guy. He was like the city guy on the bus on the way up, long story short, I was like, who's this jerk, this loud, well-dressed guy? I'm just like, this so dumb. Anyway, long mm. and short of it, we ended up becoming mates after that and have been good mates ever since. But he was like mm. from Melbourne, from a good school. So he was like, oh yeah, do this, do this. He like mm. knew all the stuff. And I was like, I've yeah. got no idea. So from the get-go, he was like, no, do this, do that kind of thing. Mm. And really helped us out in that digital space for sure. So yeah, we had, mm an online shop from the start and it worked well for us from the start. Like without that, yeah. if we were relying on B2B and just door sales, uh, yeah. it, um, it might've worked, but it would definitely would not have gone as well. Yep. 
And say in those really early days, like what were your, I mean, for lack of a better term, your, your marketing channels, was it word of mouth or were you... <laughs> <laughs> Like the thing that's made this brand work and, mm. you know, is like, it was a community brand. Like we made yeah. the stuff, but the community grew the brand. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, we're on this, we're on Mount Buller, right? There's this little village where like, you know, everyone's living on top of each other. Everyone's like mates and parties together, all of this kind of stuff. And it's just like, one of your mates starts a brand. You're like, mm. fuck yeah, I'm going to get on that. And then it becomes yeah. your brand and your mm. friend's brand. It's mm. like, it's those, like this um, hypersensitive kind of community to that kind of things and people wanting to be a part of it and all of that kind of thing. So it's just like, you know, all of our friends up there grew the brand and then everyone mm. at the hills wearing the brand, right? So then people come up on the weekend, they're like, what the hell is this? Why is everyone wearing this? And this is like, they see this trend and then they get on mm. it and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and then it goes from one hill and then it goes to the next hill kind of thing. And then the same thing kind of happens, but it's mm. so grassroots community driven. Like that's, you know, and I think that's for strong brands or niche, mm. niche communities. That's a really big thing. Cause it's meaning so meaningful to the people because it's yeah. there. So whilst we had, we had Facebook, um, and we had Instagram maybe whenever that came, I don't know, that came around afterwards. Um, but marketing like is my very, very weakest point. And my friends are all like, you, you suck at this. No one knows your story. You need to get <laughs> if people knew, I'm yeah. like, I know, but I'm busy mm. doing this. So like, there were no like huge like marketing channels or big efforts, like without mm. the community, and the word of mouth, which obviously is the best marketing, or like it never would have mm -hmm. gone anywhere. But it, like, mm -hmm. and that's why I say it's like, it's kind of like the people's brand because without them, it wouldn't have gone further. If I had to market and tell mm -hmm. it myself, it wouldn't have happened. Like, yeah. it's just, I dislike sales and that space and all of that. And I just, yeah. Yeah. I suppose Not all those relationships really came in handy you know from canada to japan to finland to you know all the spots that you that you frequented yeah. and those relationships you build i suppose totally yeah um, the, the other and thing that's is what, like it's like that's what community it's just like mm. yeah it's just like and everyone wants to help and because it's mm. so niche you know like we're not trying to be everyone everything to everyone we're just like looking after our tiny little niche so you get so many more people that are just like, yeah, that's me. I'm snow, I'm skiing, I'm, mm. you know. It's not like we want to be snow and active and skate and BMX and surf. And we're not, it's just like, we don't want to be that. We're just doing this. And if you're into this, mm. you know, people are like really into it, you know. Yeah. And then that, yeah, all of those connections, the people are like, oh, they're doing, you know, they know blah, 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 and it links up mm. and that's where it all comes together. But it's just like that, yeah, community focus, I, I, mm. I'd say. I suppose, like, what kicked it off were these uh, were these long hoodies, as you, as you talked about, the ones that yeah. covered your butt that um, that that you discovered there was a huge demand for. Yeah. What do you think prevented, I suppose, the bigger manufacturers from from making those? Um, I think maybe they did, mm -hmm. um, but I think like with. Like, I think the main thing was like, maybe they saw the trend at the time, maybe they got on it. 
all of this kind of stuff. And it was a trend that was kind of there and then dropped off and everything's got shorter and smaller and all of this kind of stuff now. But I guess mm. if someone's faced with the option of buying a small brand of the person that they know the person or their friend mm -hmm. of a friend. And, you know, I think we were maybe just lucky with timing and got the right amount of growth to be mm -hmm. visible at the right time, had that great community word of mouth. So it was maybe just a choice of just like, well, yeah, I'm going to, I know Steve who knows old mate, who knows that person. I'm going to get that one over that one. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. This is one of those like lucky things at the beginning, yeah. you know. Um, no, no, I, I think like you say it's luck, but 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 I think what what I'm hearing is really those relationships that you built over those years. I think that is really what what drove the brand. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally. And then when did uh, I suppose your focus on fair trade and sustainability and you know all of that come into it? Yeah, so that was yeah a few years on. So in the in the beginning, because we knew, like knew nothing about what we were doing, mm -hmm. and then it was just like, oh cool, I've kind of got a little bit of a grasp on a, a couple of things of this industry and how to make stuff and all this kind of thing. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. can we actually make it into a, a brand, mm -hmm. like, a, like a legit brand, and could we actually turn it into something that we'd be able to take a wage off? Because like for the first yeah. five years or something, like no money came out. It was just passion projects, blah, 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 all mm. of this kind of stuff. And then, so it was like a lot of all of like, the first little bit was like, what is it? Can it be a thing? Can it exist, you know, on itself? Like, because I'm just pouring money into it all the time, all of this kind of stuff. And so it was Lani back mm. then, like, you know, we were doing mm. it together. Um, and then, um, and then, and there was no focus on, there was no thought about, where it was coming from, all of this kind of stuff, because I'd never thought of it. The whole idea of like, where do your clothes come from? That mm. was never a question that had been asked to me. I'd never thought about it. I've never, mm. like organic cotton, not a thought in my mind. I was just a mm. guy that was out there, like snowboarding, great, make some stuff that people will use so I can go snowboarding more. Because it was like, basically this mm. was a, the whole like existence of it for me was like, well, I want to keep doing snowball, like back-to-back -back snow seasons, but I want to do something while I do it. I'd started like a paper trail of forex mm -hmm. trading and all of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then back when I said, you know, Lani and, and I had this combo and then this popped up. This was my thing to do whilst I was doing snow season. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't kind of just being a snow bum. Like mm -hmm. I had something to work on whilst mm -hmm. I was having the fun kind of thing. Because yeah. working in a bar is fine, but it's not fulfilling to me. Yeah, you know? um, I think that's, that's really that, that's really interesting because you kind of had the lifestyle and you kind of picked a a profession that fit the lifestyle rather than the other way around. Than, yeah, than yeah. shaping your lifestyle well, around a job. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. when I started doing snow seasons, like in the first few years after that, I was like, well. I'm not doing a real, why would I ever get a proper job? Why would I ever <laughs> want to do a proper job anymore? Like I'm mm. doing this, I work, it's sweet. I go snowboarding. I want to go snowboarding. I want to travel. This is my jam. Fuck a real mm. job. Why would you want a career? Never doing anything like that ever again. Mm. But 
this kind of came up. <laughs> and, then I was like, oh, right. and then, you know, 10 years down mm. the track, I'm just like, oh, hang on. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> like, yeah. But, um, but, but, yeah, sorry, I think I strayed off your question. What was your sorry, question? sorry. Like, we, we were talking about um, sustainability and, you know, fair trade practices. Oh, and so yep, on. yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Yeah, so when Lani and I broke up, like I spoke about before, then there was that deep inquiry to what's going on, blah, 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 blah. For me, you know, like I'd never thought about where anything came from, but then I did ask because I was like, well, what's this? What's, you know, what's everything? How does everything work? And then I was just, you know, um, in a nutshell, I was just like, at the moment, our products don't really have a right to exist for me. Like no one needs another product that's just, made for money or just mm -hmm. made um for any kind of purpose uh like mm -hmm. it's it's sorry that didn't really make sense no one needs just another product what people mm -hmm. need is products that are fixing something the industry the fashion industry is as everyone knows an absolute crisis and all of this mm -hmm. kind of stuff so then there was big thoughts of me like well can we exist like should we exist because no one needs more stuff. Like there's that much stuff getting around and yeah, like our stuff is what mm -hmm. snowboard and ski people want. And so that's good, but it's just like, but the way they're being made now doesn't add up to being like um, requiring existence for me because we're not fixing anything the way that we're doing it. So the whole idea, I was just like, well, you know, I read Let My People Go Surfing by um, mm -hmm. Yvonne, Chenard, Patagonia, and then the mm -hmm. responsible company. And it just blew my mind. I'm just like, what the hell? Like, what are we doing? We've like this, the way we've been making things is just out of control. Like I didn't know how bad it was because I never had any um, knowledge or I hadn't been asked a question to then do the research myself. Mm -hmm. So then at this stage, I was just like, cool. Well, if this company is going to exist in the future, we need to, totally change everything that we do mm -hmm. so we are fixing a problem that we are <clears throat> like not just um you know adding to the issue that's there and then it was just like well what does that mean and then we we're just like well we need environmental social compliance all of this kind of stuff and then that started on the journey of like well how do we do this and then that's what led to working with fair trade and all of mm -hmm. that kind of thing um mm -hmm. So yeah, in the first years, it was just it just it was just so not even on the scale, and then mm. just really quickly, it was just like, whoa, this is not good. We need to change. If this brand's going to exist, then mm. we need to just absolutely change everything. And we did like overnight, mm. like we changed our whole supply chain in one season, which is like mm. crazy. It's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of work, but it was just like, if we are going to exist, we need to do this, otherwise. I don't want this to exist because it should have. So, yeah. so with, with that supply chain, what was the, the biggest thing that you had to change? Um, well, we kind of went um, <laughs> full send for a uh, <laughs> industry kind of term. But like we were like, as I mentioned before, I started talking to the manufacturer to a manufacturer that we still use now in the first like five hours online. <laughs> and I've been back and forth to see, to see those people, um, mm. to see that manufacturer um, through the years. And so- This is in China, yeah? Uh, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was just like, well, what's our supply chain look like? And I go, well, I know back to the factory. Like I, Jack, dude that owns it, he's my age. When I'm over there, go to his place for dinner, all of that kind of stuff. Good guy, you know. Yeah. And so I go there and I'm just like, well, this place is, seems sweet, but they didn't have any ethical certification to say so. Mm-hmm. So I can't go, um, you know, even on your website or whatever, be like, oh, they don't have any ethical certification, but Jackson's my mate, so don't worry about it. Everything's sweet. Here. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, so we need to either, they need to get certified or we need to find a new manufacturer. But then I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, that was like, no, okay, cool. What about the fabric? And so I asked them, I'm like, so the fabric that we use, and well, where does this come from? And they're like, we know where it comes from. It comes down, you know, from the, the shop or like, you know, the, um, or the shop front of the factory that we go source it from. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. But where does it come from from there? And they're like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? And they're like, you know, it's made here. I'm like, okay, cool. So rephrase it. So where does the, um, <clears throat> where does the cotton and the polyester come from goes into it. And they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, where does that come from? And they're like, I don't know. We buy it from here. And it was just like, mm-hmm. cool. So then that opened mm-hmm. like a, um, a can of worms of just like, all right, well, we need to get transparency over that. And I'm just like, well, how do we do that? And all of this kind of stuff. And then getting that is actually quite challenging um, depending on who you work with and how that works. So. So then from there, we basically started talking to um, Fair Trade and actually very easy to get that transparency with Fair Trade because Fair Trade works on a commodity base. They work, so we work with Fair Trade, Fair Trade Cotton. Um, so they work on a commodity base in terms of like their existence is to look after the farmer and their community. So they essentially, like our Fair Trade premium, go back to the farmer so they can grow their cotton. In the way that this system's set up, we know exactly where the cotton's coming from because they're the people that we're set up to look after. So from there, um, we can have traceability of the co-op that it goes to because then from there it goes to Chetna, which is the big, big co-op, which then, um, <clears throat> you know, our factory buys the, um, well, then it goes to a spinning mill, but then mm. from there, our factory buys that from the spinning mill, then it comes to our factory, they make the fabric, blah, 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 blah. So, but wow. the whole thing of like reaching, reaching out to fair trade was like, yeah, we, cause I'm, we can put you in touch with a manufacturer. Um, mm. But with that, the way that fair trade set up, like it's set up to have that transparency all the way back. So then mm. for us, I was just like, well, well, this is a no brainer. But what that mm. meant was then we have to change, you know, this is all set up in India. So mm. then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So then I had like three different, four different manufacturers I had to go see. So one was in Calcutta. And then like, I think there was a couple down in Tamil Nadu or like mm-hmm. out from there. So I'm flying all around India, like, oh, nice. was, like meeting, these people, <laughs> meeting with these mm. people, which was sick. And I love it. Like, this is like yeah. really cool. It's kind of like the same thing about the snowboarding thing, right? It's all mm. that travel and just like adventure. And just like, when I do supply chain stuff, I'm just like, let's go. Like it's yeah. just like marketing and sales. I'm just like, no, 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 no. Oh, we need to see a manufacturing plant by that country. Sweet. Let's do it. So I was just like, um, so, you know, then we're like going around there. It's like meeting with these people and being like, you know, can we do this? And, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So it was a massive, massive thing. Like that trip was like 10 days of just like flying over there, like, and then up and down across and this and that, like it was mm-hmm. hectic. And so it was a really big undertaking to 
change and do that. And it was done very quick because it was very like, what we're doing is wrong to me. Mm. I don't think we should be doing this. I don't think this should exist. I don't think other people should be doing it like this. This is, and this is just my thoughts of like mm-hmm. what I was thinking about where I was at this time. And I'm not saying people don't make stuff the way I make, they're bad people or whatever. This is for me. I was just like, this is what I think about this. So I need to change this right now. So I was very kind of intense and a lot of, um, yeah, it was like, there's just a lot going on, a lot of work. So it was a big change because it was all of that, like a whole new supply chain, whole new, and even like, you know, cultural differences of working with people in China to working to people with India, totally mm-hmm. different. Like mm-hmm. the people do everything differently. Not everything, you still make clothes, but you know, there's so many differences and all. So there's a big learning curve, big, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it was cool. Like, and that's like, yeah, it's like the same kind of thing that was like, it's cool about like the snow lifestyle, right? that travel and adventure and all of that. Like I saw that in that. So I was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to take this on. This actually sounds exciting to me. And I want to get mm-hmm. into this kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I did a bit of snooping around on your Instagram and so on. And, so, and it looks like you really did take this on because one of the things that came up was um, you were looking at like the situation of farmers in India, for example, mm. and how, um, you know, the, that, you know, like it, for a lot of them, it, it is quite a tragic situation, you know, like they experience, you know, very high suicide rates and, and so on. Mm. And, and yeah, I saw that you were, you know, bringing light to these issues, which is. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we did, I think like the first year I went over there and it was like this big kind of expedition of setting up the supply chain and, and all of this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and then I think it was the next year or the year after, uh, I took my best mate, who was actually the person I moved to whistle with. Um, he is a filmer, content creator, and literally was like, hey, bro, dude, like, I want to do this. Like, I want to go see our supply chain. I want to show people what I see. Because I go over there and see all this cool shit. Like, no one sees what I see or knows mm. that we go and do this. So I'm just like, let's do it. Like, you know, come on, like, jump on a plane. We're going to go. So I went over there to our manufacturer. I obviously hooked it up before. And I was like, so I want to go all the way to the farm. And um, the time that we went was not the best time in terms of harvest and all of this kind of stuff. It was like, all right, cool. So they hooked us up with um, Chetna, who is a big co-op that run um, that Chetna is like a co-op where they sell cotton, but it's also um, an education, um, has an education arm. So we went out there, went out to uh, remote Odisha, uh, the middle of nowhere, and Mm -hmm. um, went to one of their, it's kind of like a TAFE where they teach um, farmers, because you might have like Indian farmers. And when we say farmers, like maybe in Australia, you think like big farms and all these kind of mm-hmm. stuff, especially like one acre. Like if you live in the suburbs, it's kind of like your backyard. You've got, well, not the suburbs, yeah. but you know, if you've got an acre block, it's like your backyard kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's what they've got. Like these people have been like sold the, you know, the Monsanto seed and this kind of conventional farming. They've been doing it for however long. And they're like, oh, there's another way. We could do it organic. But they're like, obviously don't know how or don't know mm. why or don't know that what they're doing is actually killing them and giving them cancer and all of these ty- terrible diseases, mm. um, as well as the financial strains, co- strains causing the suicide that you mentioned, all this kind of stuff. But mm. um, 
So then they need to go somewhere to learn. So then um, Chetna actually have these like little tafes. Well, that's the way I describe it, which is like mm. a little farm, like a plot. And they go through and they teach them how to farm organically. So they, you know, go through all the steps mm. of like from start to finish of the organic practices. So then they can start practicing them because then to be certified organic, they need to have between three and five years, depending on testing the soils, for the soil to be organic, to then be certified organic. Because a lot of the thing about organic uh, growing is it's just all about the soil and getting the life back in the soil because with all the um, sprays and stuff, it just kills everything. But mm. another story. But yeah, so we went back there um, and then we went to a gin, um, a spinning meal, which I didn't see because I got very, very sick and I was throwing up and running to the toilet at that stage when we got there. But Stu <laughs> went in there and got some content and all of this kind of stuff. It was the most horrendous time. Yeah, welcome healing, to India. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. In the middle of nowhere, mm. 35 degrees, got another four hours to drive home, squashed in a car like oh, with no. a bunch of other guys. It was just not the, the most worst. pleasant time in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, went and did that and, we, you know, and then went back to the factory and we just wanted to tell the story the best we could or show people what it was like mm. over there and what happens and where, where things come from and how things actually come to life. So then potentially someone might see it and ask the question of where did this come from? Or like, what are my clothes made of? Or who made them? Where did the cotton actually come from? Like mm. when you show them that it's come from this tiny little farm in the middle of nowhere of these people that are living in like dirt floor huts, it's just like, shit. It kind of just mm. brings a little bit more consideration to mm -hmm. where everything comes from, what happens and like, yeah so yeah we went back there and it was mm. like it was really really cool like i'd like to go back there and and do it again and do something with a bit of bit um definitely better quality because we were kind of mm. just you know winging it but just do something a little bit more in depth but i guess continue that conversation and that narrative mm. um around that yeah. yeah no that sounds absolutely incredible man um so, so just to kind of, I'm uh, just keeping an eye on the time, just to kind of wrap up, where, where is, uh, where is Yuki Threads today? Like, how would you describe? Um, we, uh, well, as a, as a business or like in terms of like mission kind of stuff or product, um, where do you want me to go? That's a, that's a big question. Where do you want me to go with that one? Yeah, maybe in terms of as a business, but also in terms of your mission. Yeah. yeah so, um, well, I believe in terms of like what we're really trying to do, we're still in, in startup. I believe that the last 10 years of what we've been doing in Australia is really just the foundation of what we um, are going to do in the future. I mean, <clears throat> the whole whole reason for us existing is bigger than the products now. You know, it's mm -hmm. what I was just talking about. It's what mm -hmm. is bringing light to where things come from. It's a consideration about the products. It's like now, it's not like all the focus is not on the product. Obviously we make great products and that's what we'll always do, but it's like, how are we making great products? What's mm -hmm. our impact? How are we going 
to contribute the best way possible to fixing the, the, the fashion crisis. How mm -hmm. are we going to um, best fix that moving forward in terms of obviously our own practices, in terms of like, how are we going to do things the best that we can that's accessible to us? Um, but then also, how are we going to lead other companies, other small companies like us to do the same? How are we going to put pressure on the bigger companies for them to do mm -hmm. what they should be doing in terms of taking up the slack of responsibility? How are we going to educate our customers around, you know, and also meeting our customers where they are, like not talking down to anyone, but just maybe sparking that conversation to someone who's never had that thought of where their clothes come. Like, how are we going to, you know, educate um, within and with it, in the industry and the community? Um, because, you know, like our, like, big, big vision is like to hopefully go skiing or snowboarding sustainably one day. And, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's vision. That's way out in the sky. So it's like, you know, to get there, it is, it's education. It's just like mm -hmm. bettering our practices, but it's also educating everybody else. It's not the, it's not we don't have the means to or the technology or we don't know the information. It's the same as climate change, you know, like mm -hmm. it's fucking right there. Mm -hmm. Everybody <laughs> knows it. It's the politics and the dollars, right, mm -hmm. that go around it. So I guess it's like very similar to that. It's, it's, it's all about doing, not talking, and education. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess empowering and inspiring people to go out and, you know, do that, make that choice, put their dollar where their mouth is, whatever it is, but like, you know, mm -hmm. empowering and inspiring people to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Wow, that, that's amazing, man. Um, <laughs> and sorry, you say where are we on? So like that's <laughs> so, where we are is like we're this tiny little thing in Australia, right? And the whole mm. idea, I think, our purpose is global. So mm. you know, that's why I say we're still in startup because mm. we're doing some cool stuff in Australia. We're not even like he's everyone doesn't know us in Australia still, mm. you know. So it's just like we're this tiny little thing in Australia. And I think our vision and what we're doing is got legs to be global. So that's why I say mm -hmm. we're still very, very small, very startup in terms of where we're going. And, you know, in terms of like, you know, going skiing and snowboarding on a sustainable planet, that's a long, long mm -hmm. way off as well. So, you know, big goals, big vision, but very small at the moment. And, but with, with UK Threads, do you plan to move outside of the snow lifestyle? Or... Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to say no, but when it makes sense, um, and, but I think that is a very dangerous space to play in. Mm -hmm. um, we know who we are and our customers know who we are. And um, if we can do that, um, and still be true to who we are, mm -hmm. there will be, you know, we can look at that. Um, but I think our brand and our values um, and our community um, come first. One of our biggest values is intent. What's the intent behind what we're doing? And mm -hmm. if, if our intent behind what we're doing is to say, let's get into active wear because we can sell heaps of bloody tights or something 
It's just like, and we can use them for snowboarding. But it's like, you know, if our intent is to go out there and do that because we can make more money, it's just like, mm. well, we're not going to do that because the intent's not there. It's just like, can we go out there, still stay connected to our customers and fix something in this space that's not already being fixed right now? Or, can, you know, is there a bigger purpose behind what we're doing? It's not just selling stuff to people. It's just like, mm. oh, yeah, cool. Like, does it add up? Great. All right, let's try it. But mm. if it doesn't, then I don't think, you know. Mm. So it's a hard, I guess that's a little bit hard to say. Like, if it makes sense and we've got something to fix and, you know, we need to be there, we'll be there. Mm. But if we don't need to be there, we, 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 don't, we won't be there. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned uh, Let My People Go Surfing by the founder of Patagonia. I, I have no hope of pronouncing his name. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. But are there any other books or resources or even mentors or heroes that you looked up to that, that kind of shaped your view of what Yuki Threads is and, and should be? Yeah. Um, I mean, Yvonne's like definitely a bit of a hero mm -hmm. um, for me because of the company he's created and how much bigger it is than the product and um, its impact. Um, I think there are like, you know, a lot of good business books um, and things like that. I'm, I'm really lucky to um, down here in Torquay have a lot of good people around me, um, such as Andy Folshaw from um, Galroy, he's the CEO yeah. there. He um, mm. found the CEO. Uh, he's lucky to share some time with me mm. um, every now and again, um, which I'm super grateful for. And he's just an absolute genius. Yeah, um, yeah Belroy is incredible. Company. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and it's, you know, it's that bigger purpose, deeper thinking. It's not about mm. the product. Of course, it's about the product, but it's bigger than the product. What are we fixing? Mm. What are we doing? We're not just selling something. Um, Dane from Patagonia, he also uh, lends me some time um, mm -hmm. here and there when I need to reach out. Uh, he runs a show over here in Oz, down in Torquay. Uh, so I've definitely been um, very lucky with the people that I've been able to um, <clears throat> spend time with. Also, my friend Nick um, before is a great mentor. I've got a few other mentors around um, that really, really helped me out there. Um, with books and things, I guess there's business books. I mean, everyone's got a million business books that they might want to um, look at. Uh, I think my inquiry to yoga and meditation, um, even though it's, it's not kind of business, but it's that bigger, deeper thinking, like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is um, super helpful. I think uh, Joe Dispenza's work there with meditation mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, I think is really, really good. And Who was that, sorry? Super helpful. Joe Dispenza. Oh, Joe Dispenza, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good. I mean, like, Sadi Guru, like, read some of his stuff. Like, you know, so there's a lot of people out there um, mm. who, there's a, there's a lot of good time. Oh, Impact Theory, actually. That's really good. Mm. You know about Tim Daly? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good to pick up. Like, you know, you watch that, you get a snippet. That's where I found Joe Dispenza, and that's led me on being like, oh, yeah, you know. I really want to get a little bit deeper into that. Um, what that yeah. was that? A, was that a video or a book? Or? Oh, impact theory. It's a um, 
it's a podcast, but then also like a, a show. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So impact he gets theory, just yeah. all kinds of impact theory. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's like business people or mindfulness or like people that, you know, top of their game, putting out some thought provoking um, mm-hmm. kind of stuff that's going to help empower people to um, actualize on their hope and dreams. He's got some kind of tagline for it, but that's kind of what it is. It's a really good program. Um, and a lot of good introductions to, yeah, some really good content, um, depending on what you're looking for. Okay. Um, well, this is usually the, the, the final question of the podcast and the, the, the name of this podcast is on, on meaningful work. And so mm-hmm. what does, what does the term on meaningful work mean for you? So meaningful work, I would sub in fulfilling work for meaningful work just because mm-hmm. it, that's the way I that's the word I would use for it um, and I guess like fulfilling work um, you know needs to be value aligned purpose driven um, <clears throat> purpose driven work um, mm-hmm. and whatever that means for whoever I guess that's what it is like you know for me it's um, being able to mix my lifestyle and my, mm-hmm. you know, thirst for adventure, whether it be snowboarding or supply chain missions and this kind of stuff mm-hmm. with fixing something. I'm just, we've done mm-hmm. so much damage. We've done, you know, all of this kind of stuff for me. It's just like, if we're not fixing something, stop doing that and do something that's fixing something. But that's for me because that's what I find fulfilling. So for me, it's like the alignment, um, of your values with purpose-driven, purpose-driven um, tasks with outcomes. I guess was, mm-hmm. that's what I would say is fulfilling. So that is what you know meaningful work would be to me. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. And and again, thank you so much for your for your time today. Um, it's it's been really incredible speaking with you, Luke. I think you have an incredible story to tell. Yeah. And just just well, charting awesome, it. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much for. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. I'm just letting no, it man, man. What, what a what a journey you had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought he yeah, ramble on, but no, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. All right, and everyone, please check out uh, Yuki Threads. I'll, I'll throw up a link on the on the description there. Uh, until hopefully we can grab a coffee in person soon, right? But until then, have a good one. Sounds good, mate. Look forward to it.